solidify visually and auditorily these conversations in time and space and then share them at incredible speeds across the entire planet. That's just legitimately cool as fuck. I, I never, um, I, I was never big with um, video calling, but I do remember the few times I used Skype when I was younger before uh, uh, internet got to be fast and it was just Every other word said was glitched out, and it just—I <laughs> I mean, maybe that was just my my experience because I, I'm from uh, my town. Most of the town doesn't even have uh, high-speed internet accessibility to this day. I mean, you could always get the um, what, what do you call it? The, um, uh, through your your phone provider, you can get those hotspots, but those it's not the same as. Yeah. Uh, yeah How you I'm, doing, Susanna? Doing good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yourself, you're, I, I, I guess you're the newest member of this menagerie. I am. I am. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think we all have different perspectives we can bring. Uh, towards uh, a common goal mm. so um, that that's really what drew me in um, on top of my own you know I hate to say it's sort of selfish personal reasons but that's because you know I suffer from uh, anxiety ADHD and stuff like that so I really think that um, I can agree that this is something that needs to be addressed in our Malus. So, yeah. And I think there's a, it's a necessary to um, point out that it's not selfishness, but self-interest, you know, there's selfishness has a negative connotation and, you know, self-interest, everyone has self-interest. No, if anyone says otherwise, or they're basically lying, or maybe they're Buddha, maybe they've transcended uh, reality. I don't know. But. I know. Well, that's true. I mean, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I. No, no. I, I was just, I was just trying to say, like, uh, you know, rather than putting yourself down for your looking after yourself, it's, you know, selfishness just doesn't have the the same ring to it as self-interest. Absolutely agree. I'm super into hacking that whole vibe you just described that, um, that like moral hang up mm. in culture that exists that says that acting in your own self interest somehow negates mm. altruism, mm-hmm. sharing, kindness, all those other things that we associate with mm-hmm. a little bit of a pleasant life, you know? Yeah. So I'm super well, that, into hacking that because uh, like, that was uh, my my roommate was the one that actually um, kind of got me in the mode of thinking that way. Um, 
you know, I, I'm generally kind of old fashioned with the usage of words. I don't really, you know, I never really thought about the words. I kind of said, oh, well, here's the, the dictionary definition, but it kind of ignores some of those social implications. Mm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm trying to, yeah, I, I hear these things sometimes, uh, you know, I hear people say something and like, why it would be better to use a certain word rather than this word. And, you know, I, I've, I've grown to appreciate that. Yeah, me too. It, I think language also plays a role, uh, depending on what society we're in. So, uh, having more positive words in, I would say like our United States version of English would be nice because I don't think we possess those. Um, I think it definitely all goes back in history and I won't get into that. That's just too much to cover. (laughs) I I was was just going to, you know, that kind of made me think, uh, Susanna, you said that you, um, um, one of the fields that you studied in college was uh, philosophy. What, what what sort of philosophy did you particularly uh, um, find interesting? Or, well, I mean, it was more generalized because oh, okay. um, it is a, uh, but but not so much because um, a lot of it, a lot of philosophy ties into art history. Um, art history movements are usually born out of uh, counter counterculture mm-hmm. philosophy, and that's where I've studied most. And mm-hmm. in a sense, you could say, in a sense, I wouldn't say that it is this, but because of the school, the way it was, um, the free thought that we were allowed to have, um, it was very open. Um, we were no idea was crazy and um we were able to really just dig into things and um you know read read like you know books from uh you know original anarchists um we were able to really break down uh certain novels into what the symbolis uh the symbolization was as far as how words were used and so that's the type of philosophy I'm coming from, if that makes any mm. sense at all. Did you focus more on the um, on more Eastern or I should say non-Western philosophy? No, it was mostly Western uh, yeah. because yeah, because um, the arts in this day and age are very Eurocentric. But mm. after the after everything that happened with um, George Floyd, we changed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we started uh, trying to bring in non-Western um, art, non-Western uh, philosophy, and um, I think it's still being worked on right now. That's currently what I'm doing with the class auditing and stuff like that, um, because unfortunately, because of when it happened, and of course, like, I'm not trying to speak negative of anybody, mm-hmm. but I don't think the white community had prepared or, you know, they just waited way too long. Mm-hmm. So um, it's something that we all got to really work on and make sure. So that's where we're going now. Now, my knowledge of non-Western 
philosophy really comes from, um, like I said, I, I, I honored in the liberal arts. So I just focused a lot on um, what spoke to me. And that was, you know, Native American history and culture and, mm-hmm. you know, and then also uh, like civil rights movements and stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. What brought you to anarchism? Brought me to it? Well, <laughs> I come from a long line of uh, women that are very rebellious. <laughs> Rad. So um, that's really what brought me to it. It, it was just my, my favorite writer was Bookchin, uh, Murray Bookchin. And um, environmentalism brought me to it and then mutual aid as well. Mm. Um, so while I was in school, we did a lot of work for soup kitchens and um, uh, food pantries. Mm. And I really enjoyed that. And um, it just made me feel like I was part of something. So um, instead of being an outsider all the time. So that really is what brought me to it because... I don't know. I, you know David Graeber, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I love, I'm actually not aware of who that is. I... Oh, um, well, he's he's one of my favorites. There's a lot of, you know, um, there's some dislike for him in the, I guess, in the some of the communities, but I, I really like him. <laughs> um, I like him a lot. There's a lot of dislike in a lot of communities right now. Yeah. Just generally count on that to be happening if you exist that's true it's just (laughs) it's just such a shame because um he really uh writes from his heart Uh and um he's just got ideals that are it just makes sense and he talks about you know (laughs) if you're you know essentially i I don't want to break it down to simple words but essentially if you're a considerate person you're an anarchist (laughs) <laughs> you care about someone, you're an anarchist, you know? Yeah. So mutual aid, I feel really is the root of anarchy at the end of the day. Absolutely. You know, I think that's the, the bottom line for me is that, is this about actualizing the power of the individual in the community for the benefit of the individual and the community without any assumed hierarchies? And I say assumed hierarchies because, um, Anarchism feels to me like a reaction to statism. Like you wouldn't call what anarchy is, you wouldn't call it anarchy prior to the injection of a state. It would be something different. Like uh, I hate the language around this as it exists right now, but there's a conversation of like uh, primitive communism in in. Mm -hmm places in uh indigenous america right and that's like a lens of like glomming on the eurocentric anthropocentric perspective of you know a hierarchy of which cultures are better that's why i don't like the primitive label you know yeah i agree there's like a there's like a there's a belowness to it that i mean Go ahead, please. Oh, no, no, I, I absolutely agree. I actually was hoping that you would get on to this subject too because 
it's like you said, it is a very Eurocentric view and Eurocentralism is based in hierarchy, period. I mean, that's just how the evolution of Western civilization has occurred, you know? So, um, and I think looking at it that way, it, it doesn't really, <laughs> it's just, it's just, to me, it just seems very, dare I say the word, it seems racist. I mean, there's probably racism within it for sure. I, I don't even want to say yeah. probably like racism I mean, can uh, be identified in Eurocentric hierarchies. Yeah. Um, and I think it can also be helpful. I feel like there's a, in our current political violent communication spiral <laughs> that we're all in, um, there's a, there's a quick distinction uh, between like what the, like, what like react reactionary what aboutism versus like taking something as and considering it seriously and then holding it while also bringing in other aspects of information to expand the con- conversation and not to one up each other but to to expand our communication and learning and capacity for meeting the challenges we have in our society as people and uh so if we can acknowledge that there's racism in Eurocentric hierarchical structures, is it beneficial to then also identify where those structures emerge outside of the Eurocentric reality, perspective, experience, whatever? Um, not for the sake of minimizing one or the other or comparing them to uh, or to contrast even, but just to go like where do the root patterns of hierarchy emerge in culture especially including in Eurocentric culture and how that relates to colonialism, because, you know, I feel like understanding colonialism is is important for understanding cycles of violence in our, in our, in our communities. And it only helps to expand that conversation beyond just what colonialism is as a historical outcome, but what it is as a governing process that people can like even if someone says they're an anarchist, they can still be governed by patterns of hierarchies they haven't even seen within themselves yet. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So mm-hmm. um, the labels can help us navigate, but really it's the practical outcomes that we can really measure things by, right? Exactly. And that allows us to take, I think, those, conver- those larger historical conversations and bring them home into ourselves. You know, like where am I colonizing or not. And by colonizing, I just mean like letting my vibe take from somebody else yes. in a way, in a way that's not a, a consensual abundant feedback loop of, of consent and like choice and creativity. Right. Absolutely. It's like, it's just taking, you know, is the really oversimplistic aspect of like what I think colonization is. It's just, it's, it's finding something you like and the goal to be to take it. Is the yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Absolutely. Um, it's exactly, you know, I, I think that you nailed it with that. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's maybe why we need to start avoiding the word primitive, you yeah. know. So um, maybe we should avoid that and just say, you know, I mean, you're just a green anarchist, but, you know. I, I mean, I, 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 I do. It's not really my place to say because this is a large, wide conversation, but I do like the idea of primary. 
Yeah. Right. It's like a bit of a hack on, on, on primitive because like prime numbers are powerful numbers. They're unique and interesting numbers. You can't make them go away. They're not primitive numbers. Right. 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 They're they're prime numbers. So if we start thinking of it as like primary organizational, like it, it, it sets a centering of the conversation in a way that at bare minimum, we, we don't have to even say we're talking about fact because we can say we're talking about vision extracted from perceived fact, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like the goal isn't to like work backwards to a perceived past. It's to create based upon primary organizational modes that have worked for long periods of time for people and figuring out how to bring that back with what we have now and synthesize. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like there's a lot of conversation around, that, but I've taken up a lot of time. No, I, I think that's good. Like, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think it's being missed. Um, and uh kind of feel like people aren't, um, you know, so say, say you take a label such as green anarchist and there's someone else with another label, which is in my mind, this is like a way to separate ourselves, which I don't really like in the anarchist community at all. Mm-hmm. So say someone else is a commute, uh, com- uh, anarcho communist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, there's differences because it revolves around economics more than it does, uh, you know, uh, other things. So, so there is differences, but um, I think that there is a misunderstanding where people think that, you know, what um, green anarchists believe is to completely you know basically rid the earth of like mankind and it's totally not that what is green anarchism i'm not even super familiar with it well it's just it's really just an emphasis on the environment and then it extends the autonomy Mm. um to animals so it's (laughs) anti-anthropocentric in some ways yeah i mean i got that out of my mouth right (laughs) I mean, if we're, if we're thinking of like those type of terms, absolutely. But it's just not to, um, you know, we do have a, we do recognize that throughout industrialization, it's caused a lot of problems or we've created more extinctions. Um, and, you know, these are our systems that we rely on as human beings. And so therefore they are a part of us. So. Yeah. You know, it's a, that's that cycle that we're talking about of, uh, ex, you know, um, the not taking from, mm. you know, but existing in a way that's harmonious. Mm-hmm. So that's really in my opinion, and I may be wrong, but uh, some other people interpret it differently, but that's how I interpret it. Mm. I, um, yeah, well, that, that was uh, like one, what I've, gotten from green anarchy um and and again i i don't know uh what my label is so to speak but i did read um with green anarchy that um it's taking you know whereas um all other systems before it have kind of 
kept nature and humanity separated. It's more like trying to put them back together and having humans exist within the ecosystem rather than outside of it where they just go in to extract resources. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's exactly um, the point of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So permaculture is a big part of this conversation, right? Um, yeah, it, I mean, it really is. It should be. I'm, I'm sure it is. Um, you know, we're looking at ways of uh, sustainability um, so like, instead of obviously like burning coal, which we already know is bad and stuff, it, we could go back to burning wood, you know, things like that. But you take a tree, you replace a tree. So yeah, like, um, so yeah, I would say permaculture. Absolutely. Uh, that's good to hear, especially considering that the, what I consider to be the power of permaculture and it's inevitable emergence in at least American culture. Mm. And I, I know that's a Eurocentric perspective, but I don't have okay. a lot of experience going outside of my country that I live in uh, a ton. I've been out a couple of times, but not a lot. Um, I'm not world traveled, so I can only really speak in America, but it, it's blossoming as, an, as just a basic scientific idea of like, oh, this is how you get the land to express what it's going to express without my interference and how I participate in that and feed it and work with it in ways that require just a lot of consideration that saves a ton of work that has a lot of outcome. It's, it's happening in Florida. It's happening in California. It's happening in, 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 in places across the United States where people are from their own power uh, in different ways, creating land that is being run from a permaculture perspective. Mm. That's kind of actually one of the visions I have in general for just anarchist organizing is to identify those places and, and, and make them popular, basically. <laughs> right? If, if, yeah. more pe- if more people can see, and, and, and that's going to look different because the emergence of perm- permaculture transcends uh, political ideology. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's just, it works as a way to, 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 to grow food and, and abundance from the land with what's already there. Um, and so people are going to believe different things while they're doing, while they're expressing the skills legitimately. So in, in, a, in a climate of political violence, if that's emerging if that physical pattern of people growing their own food in a sustainable way that can be shared and replicated easily with just a few shiftings of ideas and of, of directions of labor, um, keeping people not like making sure nobody starts killing each other while that's happening could be really good. Right. Yeah. absolutely. (laughs) Um, And so at bare minimum, making sure that people can recognize the common benefit of permaculture across wildly different cultural, you know, groups. And um, that's a big goal. That's a really, that's a very difficult goal right now, especially considering, um, you know, how deep tribalism goes to our, like our organizing practices. Like we we organize by affinity that's going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, 
And that's what I appreciate about anarchy is that for me, at bare minimum, it's making me question every, every perceived or every preconceived notion I would have around any group or individual that exists with a label or not. Right. Right. Um, and kind of taking it into like an intuitive level, right. Where it's like, where am I getting caught up in my assumption of what someone means with their words and where are they doing that for me? And if that's happening, is it generating conflict for me? Anarchy is just always a return to, I have no idea who this person is and their autonomy is going to tell me. And so I need to make space for them to communicate with me. Hopefully they'll do the same, make space for me to communicate with them um, on a practical level to, to, to create safety and abundance and community, you know, not just in, in, in chat rooms <laughs> or, or podcasts. Right. Right. Um, and, per, and permacultures are really just, it's a really potent bridge for that. It's really, really powerful. Mm. Absolutely agree with you on that. And absolutely, because it's also a form of uh, mutual aid, you know, so Mm -hmm. um, it definitely bridges that it's like being able to grow in abundance and then, um, you know, having that food available to give to someone else. And then, you know, it's just everybody flourishes from it Mm -hmm. and um, it kind of, it takes away a lot of the competition, mm-hmm. you know, in society that we have. And that's kind of the, it's, it's, you know, uh, more or less the goal of, um, you know, green, green anarchism. And, uh, but also, you know, it's not just limited to anarchy. It's going all over the world. It's, it's a, a phenomenon that's thankfully happening for the rest of us. So, Tyler, what did you say about uh, something about competition the other day when we were doing the pre-call um, system based on competition, something, something. It was really good. I can't remember what it was. Oh, um, yeah, it was um, getting into um, people's ability, um, how the competitive world is inherently, intrinsically, ableist because it's all about competition it's it kind of puts us in a a social darwinist mm-hmm. um uh arena from the get-go that mm-hmm. if you can if you can do something then you perish mm-hmm. and um so this is something i wanted to investigate more with um green anarchy because from what I've read, it seems a lot of people seem to think that green anarchy has the greatest affinity to erasing ableism hmm. by the nature of um, a communalistic lifestyle and hmm. and kind of ridding us of this uh, competition. Um, yeah, so I... Um, yeah, so this is a pretty interesting topic to me is kind of how our how competition has kind of gotten into every facet of our life, not just our favorite sports teams, but literally our lives itself from going into from grade school, trying to get the best grades you can get, you know, you're competing with your classmates 
to competing to get into colleges, Mm -hmm. to competing at your job to get promotions. And, you know, rather than everyone bringing in a, uh, bringing in their uh, abilities and creativity on their own time, you know, because not all people are going to express it at the same time. And it kind of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, this brings me to, um, I don't know if you guys watched uh, King of the Hill at all growing up. Uh, Not not a ton, but I know know the show you're talking about. Yeah, there was this um, one episode where um, Bobby decides to get into rose growing. Like he, he had this, um, interest in his neighbor's rose bush and so he chose to start growing it but then his father hank um sees this as a sign of weakness and (laughs) but then he learns to to make it manly by turning it into a competition and getting him into this competition for growing the best roses, uh, trimming them the right way. And, you know, and it it just kind of showed throughout the episode, it goes from Bobby having this passion to completely losing interest in what his father had to do while he was secretly growing his own garden of roses inside of his closet. So it was just (laughs) kind of a, you know, an interesting um, episode for me. Um, but it's that, it's that ding dang gender binary, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, in um, in general, it just uh, competition is just so pervasive in our society that mm-hmm. you know, rather you know, some people you know they may not really show much potential uh, through their life. And then like one day they just have this brilliant idea or brilliant work and it could help out society greatly. But, you know, when we have this comp, you know, this competitive lifestyle where we discredit anyone who can't compete, well, then we're losing out in the end. Mm. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, competition is, uh, but I I feel like that's where making space for things helps, Mm -hmm. right? Like, sometimes I like to be competitive when it's, you know, that's what games are. That's what sports are. Yeah, and I don't don't think uh, competition is necessarily bad. It's just a matter of we have built our culture around Mm -hmm. uh, competitiveness rather Mm -hmm. than working together and Mm -hmm our community. And that's, that's my biggest thing is I think there should be some overlap, you know, if we consider it a, you know, kind of like a, an abstract Venn diagram, mm-hmm. your competitive nature and your, uh, and your lifestyle, the, there should be overlap, but it shouldn't be like a complete overlap. It shouldn't be a perfect circle. Talk about balance, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I think there's, Competition kind of brings out some good in everyone, but when you focus too much on it, it's just like now we're at this point where um, 
we we call people who are billionaires successful when someone is enjoying their life as you know uh, with an income of thirty thousand a year they may not be rich but their life is rich you know why why are they not considered successful but this guy who has billions of dollars who's uh, causing like ecological um, decay. Why is he considered successful? Mm. Yeah, seems like a pretty arbitrary metric. Yeah, exactly. Eh, it gives us a new a number to work off of. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so that's uh, hopefully that um, um, is a segue to you, Susan. Uh, uh, since you're more um, tuned in with green anarchy, maybe. Uh, you know, your perspective on how the system might better accommodate people who are less competitive or maybe what we call disabled. Um, you, you, you told me that, uh, that you had, um, that you wanted to change the language altogether so that we didn't think in terms of ability and whatnot, but just kind of seeing everyone as unique. Absolutely. Um, that's kind of, uh, where, um, you know, we, we are inspired, um, by, you know, the way indigenous cultures are, um, you know, such as the aboriginals in Australia. Um, here too, there is that, um, you, you don't, you don't look at a person based on ability or their materials that they own, um, they're not judged by that. They are just a, a member of the community and they are unique. And that's kind of what, um, you know, people who appreciate the diversity that comes from nature and, um, you know, the gifts that are given to us, uh, not only by Mother Nature herself, you know, but you know, I mean, if you really want to go into a spiritual part, there's a spiritual part to it, but it's, it's still a gift. Uh, to, it's still a gift just to have someone who can give you a whole different perspective on everything. So that may be from thinking differently just because your brain is different. It could be from, you know, uh, just, you know, a disability of some sort, you're still an important member of the community it doesn't change you know doesn't doesn't force you to compete because the community itself is providing for that person um like there's this an example that um i had read this beautiful passage when um i was studying in school and it was that um a lot of indigenous cultures if if they don't have something say like a blanket uh that person uh who is not able to um let's say go and obtain materials to make a blanket one will be provided for that person um and that's why you see a lot of uh cultures that um you know take care of their elderly um they're just they live based off of compassion so, um, 
when green anarchy comes into it, um, you know, like Eugene just talked about the permaculture situation, Mm. that abundance would be given to you. It wouldn't be something you would have to work for. It's shared with the community. It's not, it's not something you have to work for in particular, if that makes any sense at all. I think there's a lot of ways to interpret that from a lot of different perspectives. And it's a perspective that I personally, I like, I emotionally feel in alignment with it. Uh, Like personally, I get it, but I don't want to assume that you and I or anybody else exactly has the same understanding of that as far as how it meets practical application. And that's where I want to, and I I think I'm always going to end up coming to this place how do we how do we make this practical right now in our communities of what we're dealing with, right? And mm. um, <laughs> that's a big question because if the more we converse across different communities, the more that answer is going to be completely different. Mm. Yeah, and, and and equally correct at the same time, mm. even if it seems substantially incorrect from one person's perspective based on where they are, right? But if we know that permaculture works, if there's literal evidence of it emerging in our environment on like, I mean, I know, like, I just want to give another shout out. Is it okay if I give a shout out to another podcast here? Yeah. You guys mind? I just want to give a, a shout out to the, the, the Dangerous Gentleman podcast. No, it's called The Cult of Dangerous Gentlemen. And it is a very unsanitary um, podcast. Like if... Uh, <laughs> They say a lot of just really horrible things, just terrible things. But I, I would actually suggest anybody avoid listening to, to be perfectly honest. Uh, if, if you're, if, if you're, if you're not, if like personally, like ableist language physically hurts me, right? Like because of my history with the words of like stupid, retard, et cetera, et cetera, how that's physically impacted me in my environment and my community. So it's like physical pain for me to hear it. Different people have that same, I, I, I wager similar pain sensation around hearing certain language for super valid reasons. Folks over there largely don't care. And I'm not saying that's okay. And, and however, I've been wading through my own pain process to talk to them and found that at the center of it, is a commonality that I'm trying to reverse engineer into the language, hopefully. Uh, And the core of what attracts me to that podcast is one of the people who puts it together is building a permaculture farm in Florida right now. And they're documenting it and it's, and they want it and they're sharing it. They're, they're, they're literally showing how permaculture generates so much that you in many times just end up having to give away food to your neighbors all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and he's going into the social relationships in community as it pertains to sharing permaculture with other people on their land and, and how that how that blends and merges is, for all intents and purposes, green anarchism in his permaculture. However, anyone I would wager who's been, you know, calibrated to one side or the other of the political spectrum right now in America is going to be hyper keyed 
around a number of different linguistic, physical, and social cues that are going to tell them danger. This is my enemy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I respect that. And I kind of already knew that like by even bringing them up, I was going to make myself vulnerable to like, oh, this person is associated with this person. So therefore we're going to, you know, dox them or something. I don't know, but uh, that's okay. If I need to get doxed, dox me. I don't have nothing to lose. I got my dragon pants on so I can get drug. I've been doxed for being who I am. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is, is that, the permaculture, the evidence for the efficacy of permaculture exists literally across the, the, the political spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. And the conversations that I'm listening to happen in, the, in these really different non-leftist communities that are happening are the, they're like the exact same com- conversations the anarchists are having. They're just metabolized completely different with a completely different set of priorities and perspectives, but the commonality is enough that I think it just really shows how anarchism isn't like a political party <laughs> at all. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's hmm. a life perspective and approach. It's a political position in oneself, right? Yeah. Um, and so if we're talking about permaculture, and this is what I learned by kind of watching these other cultures that are not that I would consider leftist at all, but they are becoming leftist. That's what's wild. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, and there's some, I mean, just to jump springboard off that, I don't mean to interrupt you here, but please, um, I ramble. No, it's, it's a good thing to talk about that now because we can um, now address eco-fascism. Right. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah, those are, those are people definitely outside of the leftist sphere. And I feel like it's been co-opted in a sense um, from us because, you know, I I think, I think from around 1987 to 2000, um, Janet, if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, Janet Beal, um, she worked very closely with um, Murray Bookchin and um, she co-authored, um, I believe, a book or, a, or maybe even an article with uh, Peter, St- uh, St- I can never pronounce the names properly, okay. Stoudenmeyer or something. Um, and it was called Ecofascism Lessons from the German Experience. So this, this, <laughs> this particular, because you know what had happened through that, it was, it was not good. Uh, with the eco-fascists. So, um, and I think a lot of the ableist um, ideals came from that and it's been addressed. So I think maybe that's something um, that we need to watch out out for, um, not just in the green community, but also anarchists all over. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, you know, when I was growing up, it's not really an example permaculture, but we always had an urban farm and, um, you know, uh, we weren't able to give it away to like an entire country or anything, but we did to our neighbors, you know, every summer, um, because here in the Rockies, it's hard to grow things. So you can only grow mostly in the summer. So we would have extra cucumbers, extra 
tomatoes. It was just an abundance Mm -hmm. and we would just give it away. So um, I really think it depends on your attitude towards like your economical Mm. like point of, or not economical, but uh, economical, you know, uh, when it has something to do with like how your you feel about, you know, being um, paid for what you're doing. And um, I think that needs to be removed. So um, you can't expect a return of income from this because it's, it's not yours to begin with. It came from nature. It's not yours anyway. It's everybody's. So, and that's a, a really attitude. big shift. That's a like that is a huge shift. It's really difficult, mm-hmm. really difficult because it's so entrenched, you know. It is, and that's that's kind of what our goal is as anarchists is to hopefully, you know, uh, I mean, if we're if we're going to talk about mutual mutual aid being the core, that is mutual aid, giving away to others. Um, you're, you're already providing for yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, so why would you hoard those resources? And that's what we need to do. We need to change the social attitude. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, I don't think legislation is the answer for sure. You know, can't let, you can't legislate this without creating a counterforce that, that, that will end up becoming conflict. And then the, the point gets lost that because uh, people will resist something just because they're told they're supposed to by the state, which, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'm not going to judge that. And uh, I can certainly relate at times. Um, but the conversation of statism is about, is it, and anarchism, is they're both conversations of power. It's just power, right? Cool. So, so if people are trying to generate power for themselves at the expense of the community. I mean, one of the greatest examples of that, I feel like at least in America is the, you know, farmers throwing away surplus food to meet, you know, to meet pricing goals, Mm -hmm. right. Uh, Or any business that throws away food. Um, The overproduction aspect of our current paradigm is out of control. You know, I feel like that's like, we just produce, we don't, we produce so much more than we have to. Mm-hmm. And um, see, it's like this conversation when I talk to um, a lot of different folks, there's a lot of assumptions around like Suzanne, a lot of the things that you said, I feel like I really, I would, I would just nod my head and be like, yep. Um, and I'm, but I'm also doing the labor of trying to be like, how else might somebody perceive that who's new to the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Like the shift that you describe between just, you know, it's letting, it's letting go of ownership, right? Of, of, any, of anything, which is not a binary conversation. It's not a like absolute control versus I have no control over my life. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not what that means. It's just not that. At all. <laughs> and so it's, it's complicated and people will, will, mm-hmm. will hit it from that perspective if they're new to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to like, if we're talking about permaculture and we're talking about abundance being given away, like I just want to point out as, as an observational fact that I'm watching people do that 
And this is not to negate anything. It's just to add information. I'm watching people in real time build this thing within the capitalist model. And so to say, if, if I, I, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say all three of us are anti-capitalists, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So, so if I say, you know, capitalism doesn't work because, and then I present my, 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 my theories, and then someone says, well, look, I'm using capitalism to generate this permaculture farm that's just like giving away food and generating the income to not only keep maintain, but grow other things that I want to build that, Will, be, will benefit the community on other, other dimensions simultaneously, building a whole level of community through capitalism. It's working, right? How do you bring up what we're talking about to somebody who's just like, how can you tell me what I'm doing is wrong? All I'm doing is successfully paying my bills, saving up a ton of money and giving away a bunch of excess. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you counter that? To well, say that, that, that capitalism doesn't work. I mean, that, that, what they are doing sounds, I mean, this uh, abstract person you just created. Um, no, it's a real person. I'm talking about. Oh, 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 you're talking about an actual person? Yeah. Um, well, okay. Well, regardless, um, I mean, to be honest, it sounds like they're um, explaining more of um, market socialism. Um, you know, which is different. Like it does rely on market, does have an exchange of goods for other goods or money. But, the, you know, but if they are the worker owning the means of production and they are um, not using it as, you know, using their capital simply to profit, then I, I don't know if I would call it capitalism. I would say that it would be a free market where it works within the framework of capitalism simply because of the exchange of goods. But um, um, well, I mean, that's, I just wanted to um, you know, jump in there and say that because it doesn't sound like capitalism there. It sounds like they have a goal in mind and realize well, if we're under capitalism, we mm-hmm. need to work within the confines of it. Like, doesn't mean that, I mean, uh, you know, it, to me it sounds like if they could live without having to worry about paying a bank their mortgage or paying um, property taxes, and could just stay on this plot of land doing what they need to do, it kind of, you know, like, what would be the difference? It's just that they don't need to generate money to afford this um, business. They can just do it and do it for the good of the people. Right. So I I think it's, uh, you know, the transition from – a money society to a moneyless society is, uh, you know, that, that, that definitely gets, uh, raises some hair on people's backs though. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's, um, capitalism is an addiction. In my opinion, people are very addicted to it because, you know, we're seeing that in practice, it, it, supposedly worked 
but this is where Bookchin talks about scarcity. So, but someone that's doing something like that, I agree with Tyler. Um, that's more socialism than it is like capitalism, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that I find difficult, and it's because of the person I am and, and the type of, you know, things I believe and the way I live, uh, I just don't see any sort of profit necessary. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's just my thing. Like, I don't see any necessity and profit if you have abundance, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's, it, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's a paradox to me. Well, what, what if you wanted your, uh, your uh, $15 million mansion with a hundred empty rooms? Uh, what about those people? <laughs> exactly. I, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but I mean, I did come across this, um, um this yesterday like people said you know that their argument for why people don't deserve to have houses when when we have an overabundance of houses Mm -hmm. you know they're saying well what about those people that want to make money and have a better life should they have to live like dirt like everyone it's like no if if everyone's thriving you know, it like it, it just means you can't have your fifteen dollar or fifteen million dollar mansion. It, but that doesn't mean your quality of life has to be absolute shit. Mm. You know, sorry for the language, but it, it just it was something I heard yesterday, and I said having a fifteen a fifteen million dollar mansion is not the same as you know. Uh, or it's not the opposite of socialism. It's just, or I mean, it is, but uh, I, I lost my train of thought there. I was getting a little too passionate, but um, <laughs> word. Well, and how can you look, how could you even make that comparison? Do you think yeah. others live like dirt? Yeah. That yeah. Well, well that, that's the thing is either you're on this binary, either you have the most, uh, flamboyant, luxurious lifestyle, or you're living like plebes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's 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 definitely a mind-boggling thing that you know. And I, I, what I said to them was, well, look, if you're, you know, like if you can have this lifestyle without exploiting other people in the process. Then sure, I'm I'm fine with that. I, I I personally wouldn't want it, but if you're somehow able to do it without exploiting people, then go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, but I highly doubt you're going to find a way to live such a luxurious life without any sort of exploitation. You know, it's I I feel like this is where the conversation gets real muddy and uh people can come at this from a lot of different ways in terms of what deserving means, what quality means, mm-hmm. what need and desire and access and worth and all those things mean. And yeah. Those are complex conversations and they will happen, but it's very, mm-hmm. for me, it's like slogging through mud and I just want to get to the root of it, mm-hmm. right. As, as a radical. And for me, the root of this massive conversation 
really comes down to rent mm-hmm. and the social, biological, and temporal impacts of the existence of the idea and practice of rent. Like mm-hmm. everything comes down to that. There's not, I think that there's not a single political conversation you could have that doesn't eventually connect to the state, mm-hmm. which doesn't boil down to control of land through physical threat of physical violence mm-hmm. um, to the degree which value can be extracted from the individuals identified by the state uh, and recontextualize to support that whole process and metabolize and keep that metabolism going. Mm-hmm. Right. So <clears throat> if, if you think about the most, <laughs> this is a really weird way to frame it. This is where anarchists get a bad name. I hope I don't give anarchists a bad name. <laughs> but if you were like, how can I fuck this whole system up as easily as possible? <laughs> how can I do the most damage with like the least amount of physical actual harm and impact it would be to sabotage the housing market because mm-hmm. that is the most consistent lurching form of income generation that nobody can escape from mm-hmm. nobody the only way you can escape from it is by upgrading your placement into the land ownership position to which you're not changing anything. You're just individually changing your placement. Somebody else is underneath that lurching slog. And, 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 it ha- and the thing is, is it's, it's, it's arbitrary. There's this mm-hmm. arbitrary 30-day threat of violence that puts a push that isn't necessary for people to be productive or creative or kind, or loving, or supportive in, in generating abundance with each other. Mm-hmm. Rent is not necessary. Mm-hmm. It, it is beneficial, right? Like, it's beneficial like um, I would derive benefit if I, you know, somehow managed to get my neighbor's houses and have power over that process, so now I had ownership of their houses. That's beneficial to me, so there's benefit there, right? Yeah. But, but... <laughs> To the perspective. From that perspective, right? And, and that's mm-hmm. the thing is, is like, if we're talking about neurodiversity, which we are in this podcast, right? That's one of our themes that's kind of core. Uh, mm. Our brains shape our personalities. They shape our perspectives. They shape everything about us. And we shape our brains simultaneously. But both of those things are hard to change. And they can be tricky. Mm-hmm. And people can be in different parts of that in their development of themselves and they have abilities to do that or not. So it would be ableist to say, in my perspective, that someone who doesn't have the ability to take themselves out of their own perspective and legitimately consider another person's perspective, it would be ableist to say that that person is less of a person, Mm -hmm. less valuable or less capable of having this conversation than Mm -hmm. someone who is. Yeah. Because they can't. And, and so that, what that means is we have to be prepared to have these conversations with people that may be legitimate sociopaths. Mm-hmm. Which means we have to stop demonizing sociopaths because they exist. Mm-hmm. Their neurology is a unique form of, of human neurology. And mm-hmm. we have a system that rewards that 
that ability to sidestep empathy for personal benefit in rent more than any other places, uh, cops and prison guards. I think that's the only other place you could really get that level of, you know, immediate, I want power over others. That's, mm. That generates income, right? Uh, it's uh, it's going to be landlords, cops. That's politicians. It. Politicians, even that. That's, that's so not as juicy, man. And hmm. you don't have to be that capable of, of incredibly complex mm-hmm. uh, social engagement to be a landlord or a cop. You just need the right pieces of paper and the right decision-making processes and the right access to the outcomes of those decision-making processes. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone's character, quote unquote, that's why I think you know, judging the, the meritocracy and the, the idea of a, a person having character merit doesn't work for transcending mm-hmm. the concept of ownership because it's wild because that's like, that is identity politics. And, and yet people that are like, no, no, you have to be a good person. But identity politics, no, the fact that you have an identity and there's power attached to that, no, nah, that's magic. Like, mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm not quite sure. Where was I? Fuck, I lost it. Well, you, you started off with um, housing uh, being the... Um... Yeah, so like that's, that's the root, right? So, and the thing is, is that people regardless of how true that is or not, anybody having the conversation of anarchy or statism who's looking at the structures mm-hmm. is going to perceive that conversation of rent being the root in different ways that are probably mm-hmm. going to be pretty emotional, <laughs> yeah. right? Because well, people's lives are on the line. People, this is what makes people homeless. Mm-hmm. Right? So one thing I would like to add to, I mean, there was a 2008, um, it was 2008, right? The, um, the mm-hmm. big housing crisis, mm-hmm. um, the housing bubble burst. Maybe I'm wrong with the year, but um, I think you're correct. Yeah, but um, I mean, they did that to themselves. So before you were saying, as an anarchist, how can you, you know, stick it to the man the most? And you said, you know, um, attacking the housing infrastructure. Um, I, I, I mean. If if taken literally, um, I'm I'm guessing you know I could always argue that the housing market is its biggest enemy. It, every so often, it creates its own bubble, crashes. But the issue is, then you have the Federal Reserve, the banks. They all come in and bail out the housing market, and then mm-hmm. all those people who cause the housing crisis, they kind of come back and just suck back all the resources again. They're like, oh, well, housing (laughs) is cheap, Mm -hmm. and I just got a nice, uh, you know, I just got a nice bailout here. I'm going to use that money to buy up all these cheap houses now and do the same thing over again. Mm -hmm. So, um you know, so I, I, I just question whether it's housing that's the deeper issue here because it's, you know, I, I feel like the, the feedback loop is so ingrained in the whole network that every sector kind of feeds back into the other sectors. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, property is a big thing, like homeownership. If everyone was able to own 
the land that they occupied than, you know, and not have to worry about being evicted while they choose to occupy that space. Right. Then I think there could be a lot of good takes off a lot of people's anxiety. Um, They don't necessarily (laughs) need to go to a nine to five job every day. They can, they can do stuff at their own house, um, you know, work on their artwork. They can code, they can, you know, I, I don't know. They could do a lot of great things from the comfort of their own home without having to worry about being evicted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that pressure. I, I feel like that is, like, that's the thing. When I say rent is the root, what I'm not saying is that it is a, it's a prioritization in terms of what is, like, a better place or not to focus, right? Mm-hmm. Because... Because as you pointed out, that housing market, that, that push, that trauma push, mm-hmm. that constant stress and anxiety is that threat, that 30-day violent threat of eviction. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, that pressure that it has, um, it's, it's also this – is, this is the thing to consider. That's, that creates trauma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, and that- like no matter what any person thinks or moralizes about trauma, it's – it's going to cause human behavior to react in ways that are unpredictable. And mm-hmm. in their unpredictability, they can actually be quite predictable. For instance, when in Oakland, I think it was 2017, 16 or 17, maybe, it's, I don't remember what year it was. It's one year around that time where two giant apartment developments were burned down giant it was huge uh, and uh it they know i don't think they found out who did it and one of them it was one place it, that got burned down twice they were building this giant you know super housing whole foods in the middle of a of a neighborhood in oakland that was being just severely gentrified pushing all these people out the shit got burned down one night they built it again Shit got burned down another night. That's trauma. I'm not interested in moralizing that. Yeah. Because when you take that individual anxiety hit of, of that 30-day threat of violence and you multiply it by millions of people, mm-hmm. something's going to give and it's not going to be fun. There's too much trauma behind it. People, like when someone's deep in trauma, they're not like, Trauma causes actual cognitive damage to our ability to perceive reality. You know, uh, like I'm not asking anybody to sympathize with any of these recent shooters, but just like consider the amount of trauma within their experience that got them to where they were recently, where they had to go gun down a bunch of people Mm -hmm. in a fucking supermarket or something, or, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm not trying to say therefore there we need to, you know, open our hearts to them or anything. Uh, yeah. What I'm saying is that trauma creates conflict and violence. Yeah. Well, yeah, and- that's exactly. <laughs> we, we, we should, and we should always hold those people accountable, but right. if you're not willing to address the root cause, it's just going to keep happening. Exactly. And we're just going to keep putting band-aids on the wound, but never actually heal the wound in the first place. So it just keeps reopening and, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I get what you mean there. I, um, you know, it's uh, 
just just individualizing the issue, you know, and that's another point I wanted to make with current society is how individualistic everything is. And I don't want to, I, I really like to um, say that the big difference between individuality, which is one's own individual expression and individualism that places all responsibility on the individual and completely alienates them mm-hmm. from the system that they belong to. Right. Um, you know, and that, you know, this individualism uh, comes up, you know, homelessness is the biggest one for me is that I see as people say, oh, well, they choose not to work or they choose to do the drugs that they choose. It's like a healthy person is not going to just pick up uh, a needle and inject themselves with heroin. Like there's definitely some underlying issue before mm-hmm. that point. There's a lot of trauma, like no, like everyone knows heroin is destructive, but when you're, when your life, when you see your life as absolute shit, picking up a needle doesn't seem like the worst thing you could do, you know? And that's, you know, and that's that's something I, I just can't get over is how insensitive people are to these, uh, you know, individualizing these traumas that are created by a system. Um, so I agree. I think that distinction is really important. Susanna, I, I, do you want to say anything, though? Because yeah. I don't want to take up any more space. Yeah, yeah she's been kind oh, of... No, it's okay. Um, I wanted to hear your perspectives because for me... Uh, The perspective is coming, I'll admit, an uh, anti-civilization perspective on my part. Um, It's, you know, it's it's purely theoretical. Um, It, you know, hasn't, uh, it's it's happened historically, but um, I think, you know, that's part of the green anarchist um, feeling is that once, you know, civilization kind of breaks itself down, which capitalism has kind of proven itself to implode. So um, my perspective is that, yes, it's the housing markets, it's the banks, it's everything. It's everything that ties into Western civilization itself. So um, for me, it's like once we're at post-civ, you know, we don't have those things anymore. So... Again, it would be a, a you know communal post civilization society. So that's just kind of my thought, and it's very abstract, and it, it doesn't really solve our issues at the moment. But um, you know, all I can say is is that I agree with Tyler that the housing um, you know sector is its own worst enemy. <laughs> it's the <laughs> and, truth. It is. And since 2008, we've had, you know, when we had the housing crisis, more people are, and then you add the pandemic on top of it, more people are homeless than they are owning homes. Mm -hmm. And so if we're going to go towards the, you know, anarcho-capitalist Sorry, I, it's hard for me. I struggle just to say that. Those two <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I just hear an oxymoron. <laughs> it's, it's, I do. I struggle. It's like, okay, well, 
um, you're not making any money by people being homeless, pal. So, um, and that's really rude. Really rude. Really rude. That's no, a, a good point, though. I mean, <laughs> and, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, maybe I've, I've, I've interpreted the information I've read incorrectly. But it's technically cheaper just to give everybody houses at the end, given the expenses that it costs to deal with homelessness, right? So, but that becomes, again, a conversation of statism and anarchism, because then the conversation becomes, well, who's responsible for those costs, right? So a state says, well, this is the cost based on the budget, based on nonprofit organizations and state structures that are meant to create programs to incentivize people to get access to housing through things like Section 8, government programs, get on, you know, get on. Um, and there's tons, of, there's tons of programs. And that's kind of part of what I do with my work, but I avoid it, to be clear. It's just, it keeps interjecting into my life because of what I do for a living. And, uh, but it the program, so, so, that, so that conversation of, well, who, who carries that cost? My answer personally is like, well, we all do eventually mm -hmm. uh, in some way or another. And the degree to which you're insulated from that cost is the degree that your own personal cost emerges to maintain that insulation. So if you're looking, if you're, if you're, if you're a capitalist realist and you're just, everything's capitalism to you, that's where your profit margin is hit by homelessness because you have to now insulate. You have to put costs into security, costs into entertainment to distract yourself. And then you have to be able to pay all the people that are into you being insulated from what's going on around them. So that is where the cost is generated. And that's where it will become like anarcho-capitalism will become feudalism because if you're, if you're governing that process on a strictly curiarchal model with someone at the top, they're, power is always going to be at the whimsy of their own subconscious right mm -hmm. and like there's not a lot of biological incentive to lean into suffering right so if one has access to the ability to push suffering away it, it just makes sense that they're going to do it that's what addiction is right that's the needle in the arm is the fucking property boundary in the massive entertainment system right so absolutely i mean yeah and i you know i haven't not tried to see it from their perspective um of course i have to live in their world because mm -hmm. they've shoved it down everybody's throat right like for hundreds of years yeah. and um because it's like capitalism i mean yeah everybody wants to consider it as something that you know, bloomed out of the industrial revolution, I would argue that that's where it started. Not like it's capitalism been around forever because if it's, it's essentially the heir to imperialism. And um, so the thing with uh, trying to see their point of view, I, I immediately think about those who, um, whose autonomy and um, sovereignty has been, has just completely, you know, mm -hmm. been violated. And mm -hmm. I, I just, I can't get on board and, you know, it's, I try, um, but it's, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't think it's going to, it doesn't lift anybody out of poverty when 
let's say where I am, I'm about 15 miles away from people who are um, who were forced on a reserve that have to wait three months to get water. So that you know, it, it's it's to me, it's like we're supposed to be the richest you know country in the world with all of our capitalism, but uh, not 15 miles away from me, there's people who don't have access to drinking water while I'm turning on a faucet, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not having to worry, is this going to cause birth defects, you know, and stuff like that. So for me, I have to think of it on a human level and it's not compatible at all. So, so this actually, um, makes me, um, once I want to bring this back to what you said earlier, Eugene, about, um, um, call you know saying you know um, calling people out for not being able to step outside of their perspective. Um, you know, uh, you, you said um, you know about how it's ableist to call out someone who's uh, a sociopath. Who's? Um, no, I didn't say. I, first of all, I didn't say anything about calling anybody out. I just oh. I, I said, how do we consider? the like a non-ableist perspective given Mm. that someone might enter into community with a neurological inability to empathize with other people or see other people's perspective okay so i i I misunderstood but i mean still it was an interesting point because um i i wanted to like make the distinction between the people who um you know i i don't know what the statistics are on how many people in society are actually sociopaths but then there's some people who are in this privileged position um where they don't want to you know it seems like they can't get out of their um mindset because they benefit too much with being in their mindset Mm -hmm. um and so that this is something I want to, you know, I thought was a little bit complicated with what you were saying is um, like, how do we, you know, how do we reason with someone who is trying their hardest not to empathize for people? And I mean, actively trying to avoid empathizing. I don't think reasoning is where it's at personally, because it's because empathy isn't reasonable. Mm-hmm. empathy is emotions are messy mm-hmm. they're cha- they're 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 both chaotic and ordered our thoughts order themselves from our emotional experience and our individuality is somewhere in there mm-hmm. and that's and that's cool as fuck and i'm not gonna make any claims on what individuality is because i can't figure it out it's the more i see in myself and in others it's just a it's a constant unending journey mm-hmm. of learning and of, of of human consciousness emerging it's so, but I do know that my neurology in my body is mm-hmm. where my immediate egoic perception emerges mm-hmm. from and is shaped mm-hmm. from. And it lies to me on purpose all the time because that's what it's supposed to do. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how dense the dirt is below me. My body doesn't need to take that into consideration because that's not part of my environmental navigation. If I was a mole, mm-hmm. that would be different. Mm-hmm. If I was an insect, that would be different, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't need to really be super in tune with the wind if I don't want to. I do want mm-hmm. to, but I don't have to. But a bird does. 
just just to go get across all the territory. It's got to navigate whole complex wind systems, and so its nervous system is keen to tiny changes in that and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing for individuals. We find commonality in our social fabric, which is in and of itself. This whole it's as massive a conversation as individuality is a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where someone call, someone someone gave me a term recently. I, I like coming up with new shit. This person came up with some new shit. They call it vibrational tribalism. Mm-hmm. And I've been chomping on it for a while and it's irritating me in the way where I'm like, it's irritating me because it's new information and I'm having to change my perspective. Mm-hmm. But I like it because I like that it makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable because it shows where I'm, where I'm rigid in my need to find commonality and understanding based on my own perceptions rather than a subtler set of informational processes that do exist underneath my ego that extend in ways where I can, I can find commonality and trust in places like having this conversation with you guys. I didn't, we didn't interview each other. We didn't have any applications we filled out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this happened rather fast because we just trusted it. Like there's a, there's, there's enough language going on on enough levels between the three of us across, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty extreme distances. Mm-hmm. Yet we're trusting to be vulnerable and blather in front of public people <laughs> uh, yeah. with each other. And that's cool. And there, I, I think there's something to that. This is why doing like connecting visually with each other in real time. It's like kind of what COVID has, has inadvertently caused to happen where mm-hmm. all of a sudden people are doing more media generation, like documenting each other's thoughts. And it's like, it's cool. Cause it's kind of creating a living library, you know, but it doesn't benefit as much if there's not cross pollination and interconnection. Mm-hmm. Right. And so <clears throat> that's kind of my biggest selfish desire is I derive great pleasure from connecting people that, and, and the most unexpected connections usually, and just seeing how people synthesize and create from very different places, which creates, uh, you know, symbiogenesis where, mm-hmm. where two sets become so integrated that they become a third set that the two can't really like our mitochondria are symbiote and they're endo endosymbiotic. And they're a product of symbiogenesis. Our mitochondria, when it evolved, was different organisms that started working together. Mm-hmm. And then they became our, like, engines for our bodies. It's fucking yeah. cool as shit. We got these little alien buddies in our genes. Well, <laughs> oh, wormy, of- our little wormy guys, yeah. our wormy boys in our genes, making power for us. And uh, so that same methodology, that, like, you know, that conscious agency that is my mitochondria, that is a symbiogenetic agent, is a part of a symbiogenetic process that is my body, which is a result, is my ego, is the symbiogenetic result of my body and all the things inside of it. And then, so when we take the idea of symbiogenesis outside of the individual and we start factoring in, like, relationship and how we're always in relationship, always, period. Even if we're not aware of each other, we're we're aspirating the same air. We're exchanging material biologically, laterally. Like we, uh, you guys know about like lateral gene transmission? You ever heard of that? Where like you can get, like viruses can spread people's genes laterally. 
Mm-hmm. So you can end yeah, up I mean, with you can end up with someone else's genetic code in your body by accident. I never mm-hmm. met them, and that influences aspects of your of your genetics in ways that are. I I, I think this has to do with like chimerism and like when people will you know they'll develop a fetus um, after getting lateral transmission. That fetus will gen will will have the DNA of like different people that weren't part of the actual you know biological sexual reproduction it's a, mm-hmm. it's a wild conversation but the point is is that we're always generating newness by existing internally and externally and that's part of permaculture right just f- figuring out where we all fit together and how our autonomy is a crucial component of that mm-hmm. and it's gonna be a lot easier to do that if we're not threatening people every 30 days <laughs> with mm-hmm. with with violence, like, like, that's the thing. It's like any landlord, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're like a, a robot organization, corporation, or like the cutest granny in the world. Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if your rent, tenors, your renters, your tenants don't pay up, you're calling the cops or mm-hmm. beginning a harassment campaign or something, mm-hmm. right? And if you want to talk about empathy and shifting perspective, then think the, the, the place of like um, solidarity that can emerge here is mm-hmm. that granny. If we really want to be like, if we really want to be like, fuck all landlords, we should not consider their existence. That's an option. Some people are going to do that. Um, or we could go, well, that granny's being pressed by the bank. Mm-hmm. That granny's being pressed by the state. That granny's being pressed by X, Y, and Z. So now we need to stand with the granny be like, Granny, you're not taking our, our, our rent anymore. We're not doing this anymore. But we're not going to throw you under the bus. Mm-hmm. And we're with you in resisting the press that you're getting. Mm-hmm. So that's where we can, you can kind of, if you're going to focus on neutralizing that aspect of society, the rental process, the housing market, essentially, or at least the root of what it is now, um, that will boot up the 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 solidarity mm-hmm. and it won't boot up all the way through the landlord crap class because that mm-hmm. has to hit like i mean like nancy pelosi is gonna is a landlord mm-hmm. right so like the state is gonna fight anything like this like a motherfucker and so but anyways that's that's the most accessible like route is if you, if you find the point of common accessible that's where it's got to be it's got to be accessible uh, solidarity and resisting landlords, mm-hmm. the most immediate practical application of shifting that energy is going to be in the independent landlords, which is going to look real different mm-hmm. across a lot of different geographic locations, at least in, you know, in, in a lot of different places. But then that then it, it, then it hits the corporations, mm-hmm. right? Like, and that's the, that would be the next overcome, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but on, on a grassroots practical level, mm-hmm. um, There's, I, I mean, we kind of, I don't know, like if you have space, share it. That's all I've found. Like if yeah. you have access to space right now, share it mm-hmm. with someone who doesn't have it. That's like the most, I don't, I, I have like a tiny little room in a house. that's not mine that I live in and it's very small. But even when I've had something not bigger than that, I've known people that didn't have a place to live that I'm like, come be in the safe box at least. So you're not getting wet or cold or, you know, mm-hmm. harassed or anything. And there's never been 
at least in the environment I grew up, a, a lack of people that needed that. So as, anytime I've ever had access, that's just always what I've done. It's actually got me in a lot of trouble. People don't like it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You do that. People get real mad when you share mm-hmm. your space. Well, <clears throat> yeah, they, they do. Um, absolutely. That's why there's, there's uh, something in the green community, and I don't know, you probably heard this as an anarchist. It's called an intentional communities or um they're what they are is essentially a commune so if we cannot access a landlord let's say the landlord is like yeah that still affects my bottom line period because they're not profiting um and they may not get on board that's this is where like we have the problem with the capitalist mindset is it's always the individual's bottom line no matter what mm-hmm. like what kind of situation if, if I have to put myself in their shoes, what kind of situation is this going to put me in financially? You know, so um, we have to like pretty much eliminate that completely by building communities um, that not so much own the land, but have land where everybody is intentionally living there, just like you described, um, kind of like, I guess you could call it squatting, but Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. And those are the ways that mutual aid works to kind of eliminate that system altogether, you know? So, and, and they don't like it. They, the statists don't like it. The capitalists don't like it. And that's, they make fun of it. They mock it, you know, but. Um, they, they'll like they'll literally attack you if you do it too. I remember I, I've even let, I let this one person I met and I totally trusted him. And I continue to trust him to this day. Uh, sleep in my car. He's this homeless dude in my community. I let him sleep in my car one night because he didn't have a place to go and I didn't have a room to offer. And the parking attendant in the area called the cops and like the cops like fucking destroyed the inside of my car searching through it and took him to jail. And I woke up and what's ironic is I woke up in the morning and my car was trashed and he was gone. And everybody around me was like, see, told you, you should let that homeless person stay in your car. And I was like, I have no evidence. This was, what are you talking about? Like, it seems like a pretty quick jump. Like I, he wouldn't, I, I, I mean, I spent time with this person. I don't, it doesn't match up. And, was, and people were getting mad. I lost friends over this shit. One person was just like, you're too irresponsible. I don't want to be your, I don't want to be your friend. I was like, fair enough. And, uh, yeah, it turns out he was just minding his own damn business in my car when the cops showed up because some parking attendant saw him sleeping in there. And so they ruined my car, took him to jail. But he didn't do a damn thing. The cops did. The cops fucked up every single thing about what was going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't just fuck up his night. And like, neutral. Well, I mean, he technically got a place to stay in jail, I guess, but that's a really different environment. Like... Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, it's and the like, cops and the person who called the cops. Exactly, it's the cops' agents, which are the you know. Yeah. Um, and 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 that's I I could pull a lot of stories out of my my life that just kind of echo the same sentiment, and I'll still do it. <laughs> I'll do it again and again, again and again and again and again because it is not that hard. It's just scary because um, there's a like. It's scary in the way that I think anarchism is scary for some people. Just the mm-hmm. idea of I'm, I need to know what I'm supposed to do at any given moment based on what interests me. I need that protection of this happens. This is the reaction. I'm safe. 
This is the thing, right? And they'll, they'll build up whatever they need to believe around that, to have access to that. And it's scary stepping away from that, you know? And uh, I, I, so I can't get mad at people that are like really entrenched in that pleasure or pain uh, response around the idea of, you know, a lack of a, of a lack of a violently affixed state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, definitely. Like, this is why we maybe we do need to shift that focus into more communal, like, places. So, like, be more sustainable together and kind of, excuse my language here, but, you know, fuck the system in such a way <laughs> that they, they just can't, they can't control what we're doing, how we're living you know, um, so I mean that—that's just how I see it. Is the intentional communities or uh, those intentional communes are mm-hmm. start? You know, so those and uh, I've always I, I like the idea of uh, cooperative housing. Um, yep, that's a huge you know, one. A whole that's group a of people one. owning the house, and if someone wants to move out, then you know they can sell their share to someone else. I mean, assuming we're still in the capitalist uh, section, you need to come out with something so that you can move on to your next point in life. But, um, but yeah, having housing co-ops at, you know, as long as you bought into the house and initially, then, you know, you, you, you can't be evicted because you own the house. Like you, mm-hmm. you know, um, um, I mean, again, I this is just looking at it from a capitalist perspective on on a more anarchist, socialist um, viewpoint. But um, yeah, I mean, I another thing that I, I you know I you know kind of brought to my mind are like HOAs, and um, I don't know if you've heard, you've probably heard the term NIMBYs, right? Mm-hmm. Not in my backyards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like all the, you know, um, uh, you know, people wanting to build affordable housing and cooperatives in, the, in a community, and then all these people coming together and getting the state to say, no, absolutely not. It's like, well, okay, I thought this was a free market. You know, I mean, I'm just trying to use the tools you're giving me, and now you're taking those tools away from me right. when it's when it's convenient for me. So, Dig yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Suzanne. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, it's true. It, it, they do, and that's, that's the whole thing about property ownership and utilizing the state, like, such as cops, you know, to... <laughs> keep people under control and like, you know, like if, if it is something that we can use um, and it has been done historically, um, you know, not even like historical, like hundreds of years ago, but contemporary history. So it also kind of where ableism comes into that is that you're removing um, where you have to, make enough money or be able to do a job to make enough money to live in your own house. You know, you're, you're making, you're kind of like just uh, distributing the 
uh, the heaviness and, and the stress, you're distributing that uh, with other people and you're removing the ableism in it, if that makes any sense. I wasn't very eloquent about that. I, I hear you 100%. There, there's, a, there's a term in the disability community called the, the access donut hole. And mm -hmm. it's the economic, um, it's, it's, it's wild because it's so unique to the disabled community that it's, it, how do I describe it really excessively? It's, it's the cost of living that specifically pertains to a disability that is, that can like really never, ever be profitable ever um, in, 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 a, in an individual's life, essentially like uh like, for instance, I work with uh, clients that are quadriplegic, so they can't even move without help. So they need a team of people just to get up, get dressed, go to work, do all the things that a person does at work, come home, finish their night out how they want, and go to bed, and then do that day in and day out, and then deviate from that as they can to get away from the nine to five grind or whatever their job is to go out and be social in the community, which comes with its, all of its other, its own baggage. So the cost of that for the individual in that position, even if they're like full on, they got a house, they got gear, they got a life, they have access. Um, just the cost is overwhelming. Mm, like it wheel, is. wheelchair maintenance alone. It's like, it's wild. It's like, it's like owning a car. <laughs> I'm not even lying, especially when you get through a lot of the, red, the, the, the insurance layers that are, that are related to cost of medical stuff. It, it's, it's, and and the, the, the amount of benefit that a person gets on disability from the state, and it varies from place to place. This is where the donut hole gets like brutal. Mm -hmm. Is that if you make if you get a certain amount of benefits from the state for, for your disability mm -hmm. to help you get to the point where you start making money, if you start making a certain amount of money, you lose all your benefits. Yeah, that's which means, which means that your ability to like run a business or whatever needs to have yeah. in its business plan, essentially, if I'm understanding this correctly, like when our company, when, when my business idea this is assuming you're even starting a business and you're not doing mm -hmm. a nine to five grind. But mm -hmm. let's just say you're starting a business. Let's just say, you know, because dis people with disabilities often get described as like, oh, these poor, incapable people. But like I'm talking, there's plenty of dis disabled people that like do a whole lot with what they're working with. And so even someone who's functional enough where they have the liquidity and ability and access socially to start a business needs to understand that if they're getting benefits, as soon as they start making a certain amount of money, all the money they're getting to pay their, their caregivers is going to vanish. And they need to pay all their caregivers out of pocket now, mm -hmm. which means that the amount of profit they're making is in, 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 like substantially eaten up, mm -hmm. which means that what's left as profit of their own money, which is what you generate autonomy from in a capitalist system, is negated severely, Right. And so that donut hole causes all kinds of problems. And there's, there's legislation going into effect that people are doing on grassroots level, trying to influence that are changing certain aspects of that. But even from a legislative point of view, that donut hole exists everywhere disability exists. We're just the simple metabolist, the, the metabolic cost mm -hmm. of, of doing a task 
can be insurmountably more than a person who has the ability to do it. And those costs, if you're an individualist who prioritizes the individual, you're damning someone with a disability who needs to generate mm-hmm. labor to do to generate labor in a way that's particularly unique to their physical, emotional, you know, intellectual process, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Then that's exactly kind of like the track I was going on. So like, you know, this, this system just keeps them in this, you know, just extremely difficult situation and they, and they can't get out of it. And um, so that's why, you know, uh, historic, you know, this is why I I feel like co-ops are the answer to really like undermining the housing situation. And then, you know, a lot of times uh, anarchists that end up in those sort of co-ops, they all, you know, distribute the responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So dishes, cooking, cleaning, things like that. It's all, it's all distributed. And so in the ableism sense, it's, it's really like taking that burden off of uh, the uh, disabled. So, um, I mean, and it's not saying, okay, if you don't have an, you know, the ability to do this, you can't be here. It's not that at all. It's that everybody supports one another, you know, right. in some function or another, you know. So. so there are some hacks, some practical hacks that we can do right now around this. Um, assuming someone was evil, even let's just say someone got a hold of a house in terms of ownership and wanted to actualize this, right? Um, And to be clear, with the amount of resources we have, it wouldn't take many people organizing to just generate ownership of a house. Really wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the model I've heard in the disability community for this anarchist perspective, this is not my idea. This is... someone else shared this idea with me in the community and I was like, this is brilliant. And I've been kind of stuck on it for a while, which is it's uh, it takes the idea of communal housing and, and takes it into this, this specific dimension of co-housing where you would, the model would be like, if you were to frame it as like a business plan for, for people that are stuck in the capitalistic uh, framework, you know, the, the, the business plan of this, this nonprofit organization would be that um, there's no rent generated at all. Like it's, it's, if there's any tax, like it would be a tax exempt, like it would be a a tax exempt NPO and it would be permanent housing for one or more people with severe enough disabilities that they cannot function without a team of caregivers. Right. And the, Anti, the, uh, from, from an access and functional needs perspective, the person, the disabled person would be an autonomous agent. They'd be like, this is my home. This is where I live for the long term. And, but I want to live with people and I need care. So providing housing for people that want to simultaneously provide access in the disabled community and have a home. Mm-hmm. Right. So that creates a space for the able-bodied to feel safe and secure enough. And the negotiation of how that works in terms of time boundaries, that's, that's a general conversation of caregiving and care provision 
in the disabled community. And it's a constant negotiation. But the idea of forming units where the, the stablest agent is the disabled person here. Like, this is their home for years. And they can't avoid the need to have people in their lives. And they're willing to live with other people, right? This could then be, this model could be extended out to like, you know, multiple houses where you're like, we're going to buy two houses. This one house is for the caregivers and the other house is for the, the, the care recipient, right? And there's, uh, there's always two people there 24 hours a day. And uh, there's housing here for the caregivers that are invested in that. And other caregivers can participate. They don't have to be particularly plugged into this, but creating the space for this is housing for care providers. And then from there, care providers will generate their own culture. They'll be like, this is what we need in order to commit to the sacrifice of our time and energy to this person's basic needs so that we can have a home, right? It's, right, the, exactly. it's, it's meeting the needs of multiple people in a way that's mutually beneficial that can meet the housing market head on without disrupting it so severely that, that um, and this is the biggest risk, biggest risk of disruption is that the disabled are always going to suffer the most, period. I don't care if it's the most righteous armed revolution that anybody could conceive of that in this timeline reaches maximum benefit for all life in the universe. If that such a thing exists, that transition, if it involves lots of disruption, by, by default, the disabled will suffer the most because they require the most tight web of care. And that web of care is more tied to the environment than someone who, can, who has the option to just get up and walk out of a room, right? And the thing about this conversation is that we are all going to end up there, right? At, at some point in your life, you're going to be that person who doesn't have the option to get up and walk out of the room. Time will ensure that. So when we're talking about providing access for the disabled across all stages of life, we're preparing ourselves for the environment that we want to, to die in, right? Yeah. So that's, that's the feedback loop of like, of, of this is in my self-interest to create this safe of an environment with, so that as I'm dying, I still have access to what makes me feel the most grateful to even have lived this life and to die in such a place of, 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 of safety and love, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a terrible goal. And I don't think it's super unachievable. That's why I wanted to present that kind of practical hack. If you guys are thinking about putting any projects in order, that's a that's one we could put on the tool shelf, I think, of like this, this could work to build what we're talking about within this capitalist pressure that we're all dealing with. You know? and, uh, another practical thing, um, I, I just wanted to say, um, you know, even though we are anarchists, it doesn't mean, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people that completely reject any sort of political, um, um, you know, any sort of um, work in the political field, or what am I trying to say, like, like getting involved politically, which I, I think is kind of bogus, because everyone is political, like, everyone is political, whether or not they identify as it but um i just wanted to say like um as far as practical goes um i i, I was reading and listening to podcasts 
about um, Murray Butchin and one thing that he was, you know, talking about, he did not, he did not reject um, um, political activism. He, and in fact, he even was okay with um, uh, forming delegates or uh, um, not, not delegates, um, like um, interest groups, grassroots interest groups in a community so essentially this is anarchist praxis and then getting you know and then uh using it in the current system by sending a delegate into the the government to vote in their behalf and the difference between a delegate and a representative is that a delegate is less permanent. They go in, they they vote, and if they don't vote the way you told, you know, the community said to vote, then they get replaced easily. So I I just wanted to um, say that this is something that I believe needs to be done. Like more local organization, like more getting involved with um, local politics. Um, that can kind of at least prepare us for, you know, get us into the situation where we feel we're ready for the next step. Um, um, I, I didn't want to get like, you know, I didn't want to steer too much into, you know, into the state, but, um, you know, it is, this is something important to talk about is housing, um, housing inequality can be dealt with with local governments. But rather than focusing on like an elected representative, get into interest groups where you can, you know, for instance, you could start a, a group that's specifically for people with disabilities that have a hard time getting housing Mm -hmm. or affordable, um, and get you know, and getting them to vote in a certain way that kind of nudges the politicians to say, "Look, we need more affordable housing for people who cannot afford it." But, that already exists. Uh, just for the record, there's a yeah, lot. Yeah, no, it, it does. I, I, I guess what I wanted to say is, like, I wanted to. Um, you know, let people know that it does exist because, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I've just come across a lot of anarchists who they, they just completely reject any participation in any government, whether small or large, you know, and that to me is ableist because it's like, well, I have the means to escape the community, you know, escape the issues in society so goodbye, you know, but mm-hmm. rather than actually organizing at, a, at the local base, like, the, you know, we want to strive for a system that eliminates hierarchical power structures, but it doesn't mean we can't organize locally and influence local politics to make sure that everyone is taken care of. That is mutual aid. Yeah. So I, I just, you know, I just wanted to make that clear to people that, you know, being an anarchist doesn't mean you can't get involved with your local governments. 
you know, make sure that everyone's uh, needs are met before you take the next step forward. But I just wanted to say that. Yeah, I, I feel like I have a guest I could invite to speak that is like the perfect person to speak on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we could talk about that <clears throat> Yeah, offline. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I got to get going to work yeah. in about an hour. Uh, and we're going on two hours now, which I don't oh, mind wow. long form. I don't mind long form. It doesn't even feel person. like two hours at all. No, right? Um, <laughs> I was kind of thinking that maybe we should um, get used to uh, like breaking up the episodes, um, saying like part one and two, because I, I know that for me, when I see a podcast that's two hours long, I'm just like... <laughs> That's an investment right there. (laughs) I I mean, it could be good, but that's a long thing to sit through in one chunk of time. You know, I feel that. Uh, (laughs) I I think I personally love both. I very much love both. I've done long form with before. It's its own fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've done short form and it's, 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 it's own it's it that's also fun just trying to be like super succinct and boom 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 mm-hmm. um so yeah uh do you guys feel comfortable ending here is there anything you wanted to add or oh i absolutely feel comfortable i think we covered you know um you know a perspective of green anarchism um as it relates to um ableism and then also you know to inject your perspectives about it and how our society plays a role. So I think we covered some good topics. It's, mm-hmm. you know, an expansive conversation as it is, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't think everything will be covered in one, you know, podcast, but um, I think bringing it up will just hopefully get more people talking and that's the goal. Yeah. So anybody listening, if anybody hears this, who wants to join in, fucking let's do it. You gotta make a channel for those people though. You gotta build this shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we gotta um, launch our site so that they have a place to contact us. Yeah. Um, and that's actually something I wanted to like if we can like just by doing this, creating this nodal point of communication where we're allowing our affinity to build this conscious agency, this collective conscious agency, encouraging everybody to also be doing that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we're in, we're in a, <clears throat> like the whole idea of a delegate turns me the fuck off. I don't like it. I don't like delegates. I don't like representatives. I don't like liaisons, but I, rest- <laughs> but, I but I, but I, but I recognize that like messengers are going to be a thing, but if there's any myth that the pandemic in America has dispelled, it's that we have to travel a bunch to do a bunch of the shit that we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. And that's like super applicable to people with severe mobility disabilities. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I've been working with people that I've watched for years. And before COVID, they were having to travel such extreme distances. And it took so much work. Mm-hmm. And now when that's not allowed, like, it's just like, oh, we could have always been doing this. Like, and I've got to say, it must certainly not go back. Like, to go back to the amount of unnecessarily traveling, necessary traveling that we do is just a bad idea, especially when we can hone in on 
neutralizing waste and honing in on the efficiency of the technology that we need to stay in touch with each other. Right. Like that's where the, where like technology and permaculture, I think that's where they can marry. Right. Like, I don't think you have to be a Luddite to be like, we can make these devices that allow us to stay interconnected. And I think the, the violence at the root of that is where are we extracting those resources and how to do so. Mm-hmm. Right. The technology is an evil, so to speak. It's how we create it. Exactly. Right. And, and so, yeah, I, I guess I'll just end with that for me. Beautifully said. All right, guys. Well, I, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, thank you for hearing my perspective. Um, it's greatly appreciated. It's a huge act of kindness and I don't take it lightly. So, (laughs) so thank you both so much for everything. Thank you. All right, y'all. All right.